0: So we are finishing a series uh, here uh, that we've been in this whole fall. Uh, it's the DNA traits of, uh, of Parkview. Uh, so it's basically answering the question, what does a Parkview disciple of Christ look like? And, uh, and so we've looked at things like uh, a disciple of, of Jesus is uh, one who enjoys God's presence, who lives God's story, who loves God's people, who shares God's gifts, and now the final who serves God's world, and so we have this text here of Jesus, uh, kind of in John's version of the Pentecost, um, and and we're, and we're under the the theme of serving God's world. It's been great to wrestle with this. It's been great to to see this. I really believe that this this text has great power uh, in it because I see that our passage today highlights that we are that we are able to confidently and rightly serve God's world if we understand. That we are sent by Jesus, that we are sent with the Holy Spirit, and that we are sent to declare a message. So, to that end, I'll speak, uh, and uh, and I pray that you uh, that you would um, that you would receive this, that you would hear the words here, that you would, that you would guard yourselves from from hearing assumptions of maybe what what evangelism may be or what Christian living may be, even assumptions of what being a Christian uh, means to you, and hear and receive these words as they're given to us. You see I think that as I've gone over this as I've studied this as I've looked at this as I've been a pastor and talked with a lot of uh, a lot of you a lot of people over the years as I've been out as someone who's in the world in the community um, I've also seen and heard a lot of things. As someone who likes to read, I read a lot of things. And, and, and a question that always comes up to me, no matter how many people I talk to, no matter how many, uh, how many uh, good stories or, or bad stories, no matter how many news articles or theories or whatever there are, I keep coming back to, to the exact same question that I have oftentimes, is when I'm to go out and serve the world, I find myself in the same position as many of the disciples were here that I believe something wholeheartedly. I would would die for the word of God. I believe it is so very true. However, that's not exactly what everyone around me thinks. It's definitely not what the world thinks. And I believe something and someone... Who really actually happened. I've looked at the archaeology. I've held some archaeology. I've seen that this was a that Jesus was a real person who was here with us and said things that matter. I've experienced things that they can't be experienced any other way than the work of the Holy Spirit working in and through his people and his word. And that's strange for the world today. We're very spiritual, but we're not very religious. We're very uh, we're very into finding our own version of God, but it's hard for us to see one of the most well documented uh, accounts in history as truth. And so, oftentimes, like the disciples say, I feel like Jesus gave me a really good message, and then he left. And it would have been really helpful if he would have just stayed, so I could just point at him and say, "That guy, that that's your proof." What do we do in a time where we're waiting for God to return, where we're waiting for Christ to come back? It seems like our argument isn't that strong. So we find the disciples here on the evening of that day in verse 19, the first day of the week, the Lord began uh, or the door is being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. So there are a lot of theories we can go through reading the text here, looking at what does it mean to have a locked door? And we can go into that. It's not super fruitful. The point is, the doors are locked, and there's fear. And there's fear not simply from the world. I mean, that's, that's hostility. We're going to find that in the book of Acts big time. The world really hates the message of Jesus. What we're going to find right here is that the Jews which which, literally, if you have footnotes there, it'll be really helpful. It's actually the religious elite are saying, the Pharisees, the scribes are saying, this, this Jesus guy, he came and he said some stuff about a religion. He said, he's the Messiah. He said, he's the returning king. He said, he's the fulfillment of scripture. He's changing the whole world in ways that we're not comfortable with. And now he's dead. And he's not simply dead. He's, he's, uh, he's missing. And the disciples look around and say, we know what this means. This means that if they killed him and he was there, now we're the crazies that are going to get crucified too. So there's incredible fear there. What do we do in this time? Now, I really feel like this, this text here, as I've read this, it puts us, it, it invites us to feel that fear. Maybe if it's not fear for you, maybe that doubt, maybe that wondering, maybe that, that, that sense of, of purpose that some of us have. I mean, Thomas, he says, he says the disciple Thomas, uh, praise his praise, says, I, I believe, help my unbelief. That's a prayer that I have oftentimes. Maybe that's one you have. Is this, this thing real? Are we doing something that matters here this morning, right now? Because if this Jesus isn't real, if this Jesus isn't coming back, then what's my purpose? And even if he does come back, what am I supposed to do right now? I'm asking a lot of questions, so get ready. <laughs> um, I have a really long explanation. I'll give you a short explanation. The answer that John 20, verses 19 through 23 tell us is that we are to share the gospel. We are to share the news of Jesus Christ. I'll give you the long version of that. We are to confidently speak the good news of our sending Savior that the world might believe and have eternal life. Share the gospel. That's what we do. And I want to phrase that. I want to size that up because it's not that easy is it so there are three ways in which we do this we we do this and we can do this in a way that we can share the gospel in a way that actually serves the world and helps the world in three ways as the text gives us uh, in verses 21 22 and 23 in verse 21 we know that we are sent by Jesus in verse 22 we see that we are sent with the holy spirit and in verse 23 we see that we are sent uh, we are sent to deliver a message. So we'll look at this first uh, this first uh, portion here. Verse twenty one. I'll read it. Jesus said to them, "Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you." So these few words that Jesus gives us here, um, just kind of to lay the cards out of how I'm going to talk about this. Jesus says a lot. In these few words. And he says a lot because we're at the end of a book of the Bible. We're at the end of John's gospel. John has been saying a lot about Jesus, and one of the major points, if not the key point, is that Jesus was sent to this earth for eternal life of people. That, that's like the key theme. So when, when, when we read these verses here, I, I may allude to some stuff that, 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 that's come up before in John. But the main thrust of the book of John is that Jesus is sent that people might believe and have eternal life. And in that eternal life, and in that knowledge, and in that belief, there can be a great sense of peace. Now, if you're a person who likes the facts, who likes the data, who likes the reason and the logic, uh, it's really nice, like Jesus showing up is going to be pretty helpful. I liken myself oftentimes to Thomas. Uh, uh, in that I just don't, I don't believe. I I have to feel him. I have to see him. I have to, I have to really know this. I'm horrible at belief oftentimes because I think it's for the crazies. And so I need to see what's there. Well, Jesus gives that. He says, peace be with you. And he shows up and he's present with them. And they're incredibly fearful. And he says, here, here, I'm right here. I'm in person. See my wounds? See, this really happened. This is evidence that that, that I'm back. And what do we hear? We hear it's so great. It says, and the disciples were glad. They were very glad when they saw Jesus. And he says, out of this gladness, out of this peace that you have, I want you to take this peace to the world. So I am sending you. He says, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. These few words are so helpful for us today because oftentimes our understanding of being sent messengers of Jesus is a little skewed because of several different reasons and pressures from our culture. I think there are two main things that are helpful here in the words that Jesus says, just as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. The first one is that we see that in these words, Jesus is the sending one. Jesus is sending us out. That's different than us deciding what we do. Uh, us picking a mission. Us picking the duration of how long we bear with one another as we send the message of Christ out. Uh, it, 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 uh, it helps us to understand that Jesus is the one picking the agenda. He's picking the people. He's picking all of these things. And so not only is Jesus ascending one, he says, though that here's a key word in the book of John. If you want to look up just as or as or even as, like the word as, I know it's so small, two letters. It's really important in the book of John. It's all over the place, likening this idea that there is a God who, who works just as the Father does something in relationship or, or commands something of the Son, so also the Son then extends that to us. It's amazing how much John develops this idea that there is a God of power and knowledge who, who, is, who, is, who is prophesying things, who's bringing a world to himself, and he sends Jesus. Just as that sending has happened, so also then we are part of that mission. We take that on. John seventeen eighteen through 21, Jesus in his high priestly prayer is praying to God the Father for us, those, the sent ones of Jesus. And he says, as you sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. What he's saying right there is, and also for those who are receiving evangelism, more or less, that they may also be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. It says, I'm doing this thing, this sending thing. I'm bringing people into the family of God. I'm I'm extending my love so that, these last three lines there, so that they may be in us. They may be one and unified to something that is good and that they are one to what? Belief. So that the world may believe that you have. And sent me. Here's how this corrects us. That, that Jesus is the one sending us. It's, it's, it's important that Jesus is the one sending us because we are not the ones sending us. I know that many times in my life, uh, just hearing the spirit of the age, I think uh, consumerism makes me really want to think that uh, newer is better, bigger is better. Um, yeah, I think those are the only two. Uh, bigger is better and newer is better. We have an ancient faith that is infinitely beyond that. And that's why Jesus becomes this old-fashioned character that seemed really nice. But that's not how truth works. Truth doesn't just get old and and shift and, and go out of date and we need new truth to update things. Archaeology is a science of uncovering that truth as it was. So in practice... We're really into figuring out what age-old secrets are to medicine and history and philosophy. But the spirit of the age says, if you want to gain people, if you, want to, if you want to market this rightly, if you want people to be in on this, it needs to be novel. It needs to be new. Brothers and sisters, we need to let that go in our evangelism. We don't need a new paradigm for bringing someone to Christ. We'll get to that message, and it's an age-old message. It's a very simple message. But as those who are sent by Jesus Christ, we can best serve our world when we give them the honest message that Christ has given us. Namely, that we are sinners. That we are forgiven through Christ. That we are one in Christ that we can have the real lasting peace of Christ and that we can have eternal life because of Christ. Now, that's a beautiful thing. That's a challenging thing, and that's all in one verse there. Jesus is winding up his ministry here on earth and giving that to us. He's giving that to the disciples so that we could go confidently in the world so that some might believe So it seems like a big task. It seems like a big errand. But he doesn't leave us alone. He sends us with help, or rather, he sends us with the helper, the Holy Spirit. So as we go out into the world, we we need to remember that we are sent by Jesus Christ and that we are sent with the Holy Spirit. Verse 22, one of my favorite verses and when he had said this, he breathed on them, and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. I think that's super gross. I just think it's just disgusting. I, 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 I'm not too too religious there or actually mature enough to get over it. Um, that's gross. Uh, why does he breathe on them? Why would you do that, Jesus? It's like the last thing you did. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. So then we're going to move on. No, I, no, there's a, there's, a, there, there's a whole idea behind this. It's really weird. It's all joking aside. The fancy church word for what's happening here in this verse is regeneration. There's this idea of regeneration that's going on. So I'm going to do this big thing. I'm going to step out and get a little nerdy here. I made a joke, so now I've really got to cover it up. Um, so okay, we go all the way back to where the Holy Spirit first appears? Does he first appear here when Jesus, so weird, morning breath, but it's like three days dead breath? Blah, you know, like, does this thing, is this the beginning of the Holy Spirit? No, this is not the beginning of the Holy Spirit and his work there. First of all, the Holy Spirit is a person, not a thing or an essence or whatever. He is a person and he works in relationship in real ways with people. So that's one thing. So he does not appear here for the first time, nor if you read the book of Acts, does he first appear at Pentecost. He's been working through the gospel of John. He's been working through the gospels, And he's been all the way back working through the Old Testament. The first time that we hear of this person, the Holy Spirit, is actually the third sentence of the Bible. I'll read that now. I'll read actually the first three so we get the context. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Spirit of God was there. Third sentence of all creation. That's incredible. What does the Spirit do? One of his works is in creation. God the Father wills it, and the Spirit makes it happen. I speak, let there be And there is the Holy Spirit, the fun Hebrew word that'll be also disgusting is Ruach. It's a fun one. Uh, The Ruach of God is there making creation happened. One of his primary works is in creation. We go ahead. So if we do this huge trajectory, why am I all the way back in Genesis? Because we're building this up to understand why Jesus breathes on them, the Holy Spirit. We jump jump, uh, into the next point in understanding this just one chapter later. Genesis 2, 7. Jesus creates man and then he breathes. The Hebrew word there is ruach, That sounds the same. It is the same. He breathed life into man. Then we jump all the way now. I'm just going to skip a ton of it. Uh, All the way to where we're at in our text here today. John 20. If you're a note taker, we don't have time for it, but you can also maybe just like write down Ezekiel 37. That'll help fill this out a little more. And then we land in John 20. And all of a sudden, Jesus is now ruachin. The ruach, which it's in Greek, so that doesn't actually work. But to help you understand, he's breathing the spirit. We should understand breath, wind, spirit are the same thing. That's going to help you as you read the Bible in days ahead. Remember those things. That's a really important thing. He does that here in an act of recreation. Life was given in the Old Testament, but man sinned. Now, what just happened? What did Jesus just do? He died for the sins of of many. And then he was resurrected for the life of many. And now true newness of life can happen. And so he breathes the Spirit to do what he does and he recreates. The, the, the disciples are now experiencing a regeneration. I'm going to say something very pointed because this, this, this uh, text. Like demands that we do. The disciples need the Holy Spirit, just as Jesus needed the Holy Spirit to do his ministry back at the very beginning. He's baptized, the Spirit comes down on him. The Spirit is enabling the work of Christ. So also, He is enabling the work of His disciples. He needs the Spirit because. It, crea- it, it makes a reality, a spiritual and, and, and a physical and a mental and an emotional reality that cannot be experienced without the Spirit's work there. The message of the gospel is without effect if it's not given and delivered by those who are saved. Maybe that's a bold statement. I'll say it a different way. So if, you're, uh, uh, if you've experienced regeneration... And the opposite of that would be to, unre- to be unregenerate. If you have not been regenerated as a Christian and you are living a Christian life, though you don't have the Spirit because you've not truly confessed and repented of your faith, it's really awkward at best to then go and evangelize and talk about Christ and Christian living as though you experienced that. I'll bring it away down here. Mark Twain actually says this in a different way. Can you put that up there? He says, a man who carries a cat by the tail learns something he can learn in no other way. That's so great. But it's true. It's true. You can't experience all the excitement that carrying a cat by the tail entails by just hearing about it. And I'll turn it back to our purpose for today by just hearing about it on Sunday morning from your pastor. What I say to you will never make you a Christian. My faith is not your faith, it's my faith. Our faith is not your faith, it's our faith. You can never rightly speak the gospel and speak the truths of the gospel and counsel people to to helpfulness if you yourself are not a Christian. I think that's one way that we do a disservice to the world is that we go out and, and we say, come to a service, hear about Jesus, hear about sin, pray a prayer, uh, and then go and evangelize. We have an overemphasis sometimes of evangelism without actually figuring out if we are Christian or not. And then we go out proclaiming a really awkward message. See Facebook for this. It doesn't work if we don't truly understand what is the message and who is Christ in a way that the Spirit empowers us. And so to help you, I don't mean to like Fearmonger and say like maybe just doubt that you're a christian like we don't need to do that The bible says we don't need to do that if we've done that But if you've never actually been convinced if you've never seen a change if there's never been a turning of the spirit within you If the bible is still this dead and lifeless book to you It should cause pause that maybe we need the spirit to understand this and to get the spirit We need to confess our sin rightly understand that we are sinners and and ask god for that forgiveness If we have a church that's just full of people that are unregenerate, we just have another weird click and voice in the world, and that's wildly unhelpful. That will never serve the world in the way that God has called us to serve the world. So if we are sent with the Holy Spirit, we need to receive the holy spirit but we also need to work alongside the holy spirit Uh, we can go to the next uh, the next slide here is john 16 7 through 15 okay so this is eight verses that i boiled down into like two and a half lines Um, so this is the work of the holy spirit when the spirit comes jesus says when the spirit comes this is what he's going to do when he comes he will convict the world guide you into all truth and glorify jesus so there's something that, that, that we do with my, my daughters, my two older daughters at home, is we say, you have certain work. So uh, some of their work, I know it's weird language, it's just whatever gets it done, right? Um, uh, Emma is my older daughter. Your work is to put on your shoes. Eliana, your work is to put on your coat. So Emma, please stop trying to get her coat. Like, just do your work and do that. We do that as Christians so many times where we try to jump in the role of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and so then the, and then the world sees that we're just being hypocritical and saying that we're this or that or, or whatever. So what do we do that makes us seem like we're grabbing our, you know, the Holy Spirit's work and the role is that the Holy Spirit is the one who does the work of convicting the world and to guiding into all truth. I don't know how many times I've done this. I've definitely seen it done horribly many times. When Christians think, oh, I go to church, I feel blessed, I'll baptize myself, and all the words that I say are probably good and God wills it. And so I'm going to define truth as I biblically see fit, maybe with or without the Bible. Uh, and I'm going to make sure to convict the world of their sin as I see it. So, so uh, issues, oh man, here are issues like uh, sex and gender. They come up. And so many well-intended Christians, taking the role of the Holy Spirit, decide that they're going to close their Bible, and they're going to explain explain a Christian view of gender and sex in a way that actually just reflects how icky they think that is. That's not helpful for anyone, because now, under the name of God, you have just said that God thinks you're icky. That's not what the Bible says. I mean, that's one Example, and I chose a very pointed one to make my point. Don't do what the Spirit should do. So what is our role? We are sent with a message. We are sent by Jesus, so we're not designing what we're doing. We are sent and empowered with the Spirit, and we work alongside the Spirit as He convicts, as He defines and guides us to truth, and as He glorifies Jesus. And so the third point, then, is... We are sent to declare a message. That's what our role is. We are sent to declare a message. And now I can ask that question. What is the message? So going back to, this will be in verse 23. One of the major themes of the book of John is the idea that Jesus was sent from the Father as an expressive act of justice, love, and mercy, that some might believe in the forgiveness of sins And turn to Christ in repentance and faith. I just want, I really want to, I really want to make that the big point here. Uh, Can you go to the next slide here? John 3.16, we all know this one. It's in John, and this is the purpose and the message. John 3.16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The idea of belief and eternal life are connected. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, because that's a spirit's work, right? But in order that the world might be saved through him. And now if we read a little bit further ahead in our passage for today, you can go to the next slide, John 20. This is the whole reveal of the entire purpose of the book of John. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have eternal life. Belief in Christ and eternal life. That's our message. That's what we declare. That's what we're about. Belief in Christ for eternal life. So then, Josh, I hear you, and it sounds great. That has nothing to do with verse 23. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So what's not happening here is that Jesus is not sanctioning uh, uh, the Christians or or the leaders of the church to decide who gets forgiveness and who doesn't get forgiveness. That's a way in which the church oftentimes goes wrong. What happens here is a big, fancy church term called the keys to the kingdom. You can read in Matthew 16, uh, 18... Peter is giving these, and I'll explain what they are. The keys to the kingdom are not, more, not so much a focus on forgiveness, but on the clarifying of sin. Jesus here is commissioning us to clearly explain the need for forgiveness by clearly explaining what sin is. Oftentimes, the world says you're a sinner and then expounds on Jesus, and that's great. But I really feel like this day and age, in 2018 and uh, increasingly so, um, we need to spend more time talking about sin and we need to have a more robust idea of sin if we're ever to understand that we need Christ. I think Christ has been... Uh, used so many times, and, uh, to the point that I mean, you just see him thrown around. Um, it's not really that big of a deal. A uh, little village had a, had a wonderful little cartoon there that's wildly inappropriate, talking about how we believe of uh, uh, Jesus is. It's not a very good view that we have of Jesus, because we kind of dropped the whole balanced part of the keys of the kingdom as a church. We didn't talk about sin. And so, wow, with Jesus, that's just a silly joke now. He's my friend. He's my homeboy. He's my whatever. If we have this robust idea that we are sinners and we understand the weight of that, I think we serve the world well. Not as like angry prophets saying, repent, all of you, uh, but as just talking through what that is. We go back to the example I gave. Sex and Gender. It'd be nice if we just walked right through the Bible and said, well, here's a case for it. 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 it." Looks like it's straight up sin. Let's talk about it instead of just starting there, then move into a full discussion that includes people as human beings that are struggling with something. Not just talking about certain things from the pulpit, but also sitting across the table, having coffee, (laughs) sitting in living rooms with people sitting in hospitals with people, and actually talking through the idea of the effects of sin. Yes, I understand. This is not a very good diagnosis in the hospital. This isn't going to end well. God is still good. Let's talk about sin some more. So many of our problems in in evangelism, so many of our problems with the church are because the church doesn't rightly divide the word of God and handle the keys to the kingdom well. We'd rather see them as the the keys to the door of our church and our club than we would to help people understand that the only way into the kingdom is to confess our sin and to believe in Christ as Savior. So, what do we do then? What do we do then? Uh, we are translators. That's how I'm going, to, uh, that's how I'm going to, to wind this down. We need to view ourselves as translators. So uh, I, I minored in Spanish in college. One of our professors was a pit bull. He was a federal, uh, federal translator. It was just intense what he did. It was just crushing. Um, so uh, Dr. Gonzalez, uh, one of the things he did uh, in legal translation. So he would... Um, he would give you a whole bunch of medical and, and legal terms that you had to learn in Spanish. And then he would walk up to some Literally, he'd do this. He'd walk up to people, and he would give you what you had to translate. And then he would count. Okay? So he'd walk up. He'd seriously, like, this person needs a tourniquet. One, two, three. That person died because you didn't know the words to translate. That's how intense your, your knowledge has to be because that's up there. Okay, so people just, like it like crush people's souls obviously that's what that does uh, but the second lesson that everyone got was was that, that that you don't have time to say oh i think he's kind of saying this and i'm going to use some other words to d- say this i really learned in that the the idea that we had to um, the idea that you have to quickly and promptly and accurately translate because if I make up a word for all oh, those scissors things that we use sometimes in the hospital, maybe I knew those words, I didn't say exactly what was needed. We got problems. And so what happens here is that, that God gives us a message. He gives us a lot of pages of a message. It's a beautiful message. And our role is not to decide what end it will go to. We are not Jesus. We are not the ones sending. There is an intended effect of the gospel and Jesus picks that and he is that. And he is sending us there. We are not the ones who convict the world. That's not our role to to decide, oh, is this good? Is this, this, or that? We've done that when we become Christians and we've said we believe this. So then our role in evangelism is not to tailor it and say, oh, yeah, this is, oh, that one's a little off, but I'm going to look over that right now. We'll revisit that. Oh, we just clearly give it. Not in vindictive ways. We bring so much of ourselves into our evangelism. We bring so much of our identity and how much someone's going to think of us into this that oftentimes we we we, 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 ask, we go quiet to the spirit of the age who says, this, this is exclusive, this is, this is intolerant, this is not okay. Well, if we go about it in a way that convicts people and condemns people, which is not our role, then it will be. But if we go as those who are instantly translating the experience of the Spirit at work within us, the beauty that is in the gospel as revealed to us in Scripture, clearly in what it says, I really think that we could serve the world in a way that the church hasn't for many, many years. So I don't have a whole nice, neat, bullet point application for you. It's more of an urge That we need to be people who rightly understand our role in evangelism and rightly understand our role as we go out living the gospel. That we need to understand that we are sent by Jesus, that we are sent with the Holy Spirit, and that we are sent to declare a message, his message, so that some might understand their sin, long for a Savior. And live confidently in his forgiveness. It's not about us, it's about bringing some to Christ. I'll end with this a quote outside of John. This is what Apostle Paul asks He says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And here's the kicker for you and I. And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? We must speak about sin rightly. And we must seek about, or speak about our Savior rightly. My brothers and sisters, let's, let's be a people who are known as the sent ones. Literally, the word is apostles. That go out with a message of hope for the nations. Let's pray.